Today, we ask if comparably simple rules and multi-agent competition can also lead to intelligent behavior in a new virtual world. These agents are playing hide-and-seek. These agents have just begun learning, but they've already learned to chase and run away. You just saw a demonstration from the company OpenAI. Although the little orange and blue agents are playing a simple game of hide-and-seek, this video showcases how artificial intelligence and simulation training can be used for problems with some variability. This is a hard world for a hider who has only learned to flee. However, after training in millions of rounds of hide-and-seek, the hiders find a solution. The hiders learn to use rudimentary tools to their advantage. By grabbing and locking these blocks, they can create their own shelter. Throughout the video, agents learn to play freely by using the tools around them. We've also put these agents into a more open-ended environment, randomizing the objects, team sizes, and walls. In this world, they learn to construct their own shelter from scratch, requiring that they arrange multiple objects into precise structures. As you can probably tell, the environment is becoming more complex, but with lots of reinforcement learning and training, the agents have learned to build a shelter that protects them from their threats. If you thought this was fascinating or scary, stay tuned to learn more about what OpenAI is working on and how it compares to Neuralink. Hey everyone, welcome to Neurobot. In this episode, we'll discuss OpenAI, risks and developments of artificial intelligence, Elon Musk's Neuralink, and where this could all be headed. Artificial intelligence is a sharp, double-edged sword. If things play out well, humanity could be positively changed forever. However, if things unfold the wrong way, humans could get left behind, or I suppose even obliterated entirely. Their mission is to ensure that artificial general intelligence benefits all of humanity. In the last couple of months, OpenAI has been in the news because of their progress in code generation with a model called Codex. They've worked with GitHub to launch a new AI tool that generates its own code. OpenAI is working to create tools for developers using its language generating algorithm called GPT-3. The practical application of this technology is pretty incredible. In this picture, two of OpenAI's founders, Ilya and Greg, describe how the Codex model is used to generate useful code output with some fairly ambiguous directions. First, they start with a pretty simple command, say hello world. The model is able to output the result deemed to be appropriate. And next, they follow it up with two more ambiguous commands. Already, it's pretty cool they've been able to make requests and have the model output something useful. They follow up with a command to say it five times, and then request, now instead, do it with a for loop. As you can tell with this picture, they're providing instructions for the model that reference former instructions. As more instructions are provided, the variability of the model is increasing, and this is very impressive. I was planning on saying how amazing it is, but Ilya articulated it much nicer than I could have in this clip. It is fundamentally impossible to build such a system except by training a large neural network to do really good code autocomplete. That's all we did. It is really simple conceptually, though perhaps not in practice, to just set up a large neural network, which is a large digital brain, which has a mathematically sound learning procedure. And that part can be understood and it is relatively simple. And then you make it work. You make the neural network big, you train it on code autocomplete, and by being good enough at code autocomplete, we get the capabilities that you see here. It actually reads all the letters, all the words that we are giving it. It chews and digests them 
inside of its neural activations, inside of its neurons, and then it emits the code that we see. And because the autocomplete is so accurate, the code actually runs, and it runs correctly. They also showcase more functionality with the Codex model by creating an actual web page. Yes, um, so let's actually take a look. So we have web server running on port 8000. So we'll take a look. And there we go. Hello world with empathy. Oh. The next two instructions they provide are one, make a web page that says our message and save it to a file. And two, start a Python web server to serve that page. Greg then goes on to state that this is where he believes Codex really shines. It's fantastic that this tool can be used in conjunction with other humans, I might add, to quickly develop programs. The model enables humans to focus on spending their energy on the difficult cognitive tasks rather than the tedious tasks. You know, first of all, I do want to point out that this particular example of writing a Python web server is something I've done a dozen, two dozen times, and I still never remember how to do it because between Python 2 and Python 3, the exact like, structure of the modules changed, uh, that you have to like, create this handler object, you pass it to a TCP server, that you pass the address here and a port, and oh yeah, your address could be an empty string if you want, and then you do a serve forever, and this, it's complicated. And this kind of stuff is not the fun part of programming, right? The fun part of programming, you know, it's, I'd say programming is kind of two things. One is understand the problem, and that includes talking to your users, that includes thinking super hard about it and decomposing it into smaller pieces. This is the like really cognitive aspects of building something. And then there's a second piece, which is map a small piece of functionality to code, right? Whether it's an existing library, an existing function, whether it's in your own code base or out there in the world. And that second part is where this model really shines. Like, I think it's better than I am at it, because it really has seen the whole universe of how people use code. You should think of it as a model that's, you know, GPT was trained on all the text out there. This model's been trained on all the text and all the public code. Um, so it really, I think, accelerates me as a programmer and takes away the boring stuff so I can focus on the fun ones. In addition to Codex, OpenAI just released more progress on a different model that quickly summarizes books. This model works by dividing the original text into sections and then summarizing each of those sections. The summarizing process continues until a complete summary is achieved. In alignment with their core mission, OpenAI states, as we train our models to do increasingly complex tasks, making informed evaluations of the model's outputs will become increasingly difficult for humans. This makes it harder to detect subtle problems in model outputs that could lead to negative consequences when these models are deployed. Therefore, we want our ability to evaluate our models to increase as their capabilities increase. They continue by saying, we are researching better ways to assist humans in evaluating model behavior with the goal of finding techniques that scale to aligning artificial general intelligence. Hopefully other companies and organizations will also be thinking about how artificial general intelligence can be used for good because if it gets in the hands of the wrong group, things could turn out pretty poorly. Around 2015, we heard claims from high-profile scientists and engineers like Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, and others discussing the dangers of AI. They stated that AI could present an existential risk to humans in the near future. The awareness of this threat grew during the same year that Elon was asked to speak at MIT's Aero Astro Centennial Symposium about entering the field of AI. Um, in view of its potential to, to be possibly the biggest game changer ever, do you have any plans to enter the field of artificial intelligence? And in general, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think it's even close to being ready for prime time? 
I think we should be very careful about artificial intelligence. Um, if I were to guess at what our biggest existential threat is, it's probably that. Um, so we need to be very careful with artificial intelligence. I'm increasingly inclined to think that there should be some uh, regulatory oversight uh, at the at maybe at the national and international level, uh, just to make sure that uh, we don't do something very foolish. Um, I mean, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. Elon Musk was also an early investor of DeepMind, the company focused on building safe artificial intelligence systems that eventually got acquired by Google in 2014 for $600 million. Elon specifically said that he did not invest in the company as an investment, but as a way to oversee their development. Elon has been forthright about the existential risks related to AI in countless interviews, and pointed out how badly we as humans are at predicting things, especially danger in the long term. AI, in his own words, seems to be accelerating in scope and scale. He believes that AI will be incredibly sophisticated in 20 years, but in our current situation, it's impossible to grasp the full picture because we're at the beginning of an exponential curve of improvement. The test he uses to see if things in AI are accelerating is, if things arrive sooner than expected, things are actually accelerating, which seems to be the case. When asked about some things that he would really get excited about within the coming years, he said, we'll see some cyborg activity manifesting itself in the form of brain-computer interfaces. He added that he thinks that the development of AI will occur alongside the development of BCIs. This clip is from an interview in 2015. Uh, I think we'll probably start seeing like more like truly cyborg activity, like mm. human brain like like, like brain computer interfaces. Okay. Um, like there's, there's alongside a, the AIs that are purely yeah, synthetic. Yeah, I think so. We can clearly see a growing interest in AI. For example, if we look at the number of times that AI has been mentioned in all the books published from 1900 until today, we see a semi-exponential growing interest in the subject, especially when you zoom into the past 10 years. Earlier in 2015. There is a meeting called The Future of AI, Opportunities and Challenges, arranged by the Future of Life Institute, where more than 200 AI experts, including Elon, gathered in January in Puerto Rico to discuss the subject. They conducted a think tank of potentially dangerous outcomes and corresponding ways to mitigate the risks surrounding AI. After that conference, Musk donated $10 million to the Future of Life Institute as a way to ensure that people consider the threat of AI. He also believed it might be good for government to follow developments related to the technology and regulate it for the safety of the public. Just a couple of months after that conference, Musk, Hawking, and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and others who co-authored the standard textbook on AI, along with a thousand other prominent figures, signed a letter calling for a ban on offensive autonomous weapons. Industry leaders also signed the Partnership of AI in late 2016, led by a group of AI researchers representing six of the world's largest technology companies, Apple, Amazon, Google, and DeepMind, Facebook, IBM, and Microsoft. The main purpose of the partnership was to create a coalition committed to the responsible use of AI, develop and share best practices, and mainly raise awareness about the technology itself. Elon shared some of the possible benefits of developing AI. He thought of creating OpenAI as a nonprofit to ensure the benefits of AI outweigh the downsides. 
Here we want to highlight the potential beneficial scenarios originally envisioned by Elon before OpenAI. So when you call uh, artificial intelligence a double-edged sword, do you talk a bit about the positive edge first? What do you see as the greatest benefits we can get from AI? Well, um, the, the greatest benefits from AI would probably be uh, in eliminating uh, drudgery, so like in terms of or, or tasks that, 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 are, that are mentally boring, um, not, not interesting. Uh, there's arguably breakthroughs in areas that are currently beyond human intelligence or at least for now beyond human intelligence, I think we could probably solve them in the long term, uh, such as um, you know the classic sort of curing cancer and um, addressing diseases of aging, Alzheimer's and all these things. So there's, you know, insert you know, various like intractable, intractable problems to human intelligence, currently what seem to be intractable problems. And then the, if you had something that was way smarter, it could solve those problems. These are some of the hints Elon has dropped for why OpenAI should exist in the first place. Then fast forward to September 2016, which is six months after the founding of OpenAI, to this interview between Sam Altman and Elon Musk, both of whom are founders of OpenAI. So I think we must have democratization of AI technology and make it widely available. Um, and that's you know the reason that obviously uh, uh, Yumi and the rest of the team uh, you know created OpenAI um, was to help uh, with the democracy, help help spread out um, AI technology so it doesn't get concentrated in the hands of a few. Um, and, and but then that, of course that needs to be um, combined with uh, solving the high bandwidth interface to the cortex. OpenAI was founded in December 15 by Elon Musk, Sam Altman, Ilya Sutskever, Greg Brockman, and others. There are also many high-profile investors who collectively pledged more than $1 billion to pursue the democratization and safe development of general AI. OpenAI was established as a 501c3 nonprofit and started its activities primarily as an artificial intelligence lab, immediately producing impressive results such as Jim, a platform for reinforcement learning to compete with DeepMind. Their research has been wide-ranging, including teaching computers to control robots with few instructions, known as one-shot learning, and the creation of AI agents to play popular video games such as Dota. Camera, but how do you think OpenAI is going as a six-month-old company? I think it's going pretty well. I think we've got a really talented group at OpenAI, and it seems like. yeah, really, really talented team, and they're working hard. Um, OpenAI is structured as uh, see a, a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, but you know, many nonprofits uh, do not have a sense of urgency. It's fine; they don't have to have a sense of urgency. Um, but OpenAI does, because um, I think people really believe in the mission. I think it's important, um, and it's it's about minimizing um, the risk of uh, existential harm um, in the future. And uh, so I, I think it's going well. I'm pretty impressed with what people are doing and the ta talent level. And obviously, we're always looking for um, great people to join. In a change of events, around two years after that, Elon resigned from the board in February 2018, but remained a donor. 
Uh, Elon Musk is one of the co-founders, but left the board That's last year. So how involved is Elon? Uh, so, so Elon's no longer involved. He had to leave due to a conflict with Tesla. He also recruited Andre Karpathy, one of the leading scientists at OpenAI, to become director of AI at Tesla in June 2017. Additionally, Siobhan Zillis is a current board member of OpenAI. She's director of operations and special projects at Neuralink. Elon committed to starting Neuralink in July 2016, given its importance, despite that his plate was already pretty full with Tesla and SpaceX. As we heard in some of the earlier clips, the development of a brain-computer interface or an additional tertiary layer could help solve the bandwidth issue for communicating between humans and computers. In the next clip, Elon elaborates upon why our human brains are limited and why it's important to upgrade ourselves to keep up with the development of AI. Limitation is one of bandwidth. So we're, we're bandwidth constrained, particularly on output. Uh, so uh, our input is much better, but our output is extremely slow. Um, you know, if you want to be generous, you could say maybe it's a few hundred bits per second or a kilobit or something like that output. Um, but, you know, the way we, we output is like we have our little meat sticks <laughs> that we move very slowly <laughs> and, and push buttons or tap, tap a little screen. Uh, and, and that's just extremely slow. Um, and, you know, compare that to a computer which can communicate at the terabit level. These are very big orders of magnitude differences. The, our input is much better because of vision. Um, but even that could be enhanced significantly. So I think, I think the, the, the two things that are needed for, for a, good, a future that we would look at and conclude is good, most likely, is we have to solve that bandwidth constraint um, with, a, with a direct neural interface. I think a high bandwidth interface to the cortex. Or more eloquently put, we have to either merge with AI or be left behind. I think it's incredibly important that AI not be other. It must be us. And I could be wrong about what I'm saying. I'm suddenly open to ideas if anybody can suggest a path that's better. But I think we're really going to have to either merge with AI or be left behind. OpenAI and Neuralink differ a lot in their approach, but are pursuing similar goals. Either merge with machines or run the risk of some powerful group developing artificial general intelligence to a level that can't be controlled. One way of framing the problem is, how do you contain the technology that may outsmart you? In this clip, Joe Rogan asks Elon, do you think that we'll merge somehow with this technology, or do you think it'll replace us? Here's Elon's response. The, the merge scenario with AI is the one that seems like probably the best. Like For if, us. Yes. Like if you, if you can't beat it, join it. Artificial intelligence is still in the early innings, and whether it's Stephen Hawking, Mark Cuban, or Elon Musk, stating the impact that AI can and will have, most of society doesn't seem too aware about what's coming next. Stephen Hawking said, the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. Mark Cuban continues to believe, the companies that have harnessed AI the best are the companies dominating. And remember that clip earlier in the episode when Greg of OpenAI said that Elon had to step away because of a conflict of interest with Tesla? Tesla recently showcased some of the things they're working on, including a humanoid robot. So between Neuralink and Tesla, 
it's pretty clear that he's committed to creating a useful, safe AI future. One of the moves that signified the potential of AI is shown by an article released in March 2019 by TechCrunch. The article is titled, OpenAI Shifts from Nonprofit to Cap Profit to Attract Capital. This move capped investor upside at 100 times their initial investments. Although it may seem like that's hardly a ceiling, well-developed general artificial intelligence could easily have near-binary financial outcomes. In other words, if a company like OpenAI were to develop AGI well, the upside could be much larger than 100 times. From now until that pending future outcome, there's still uncertainty, however. Here is a closing thought from OpenAI co-founder and CTO Greg Brockman, where he talks about the company's bright future ahead. And so I think that, that we're in a similar sort of place here where it's hard to predict what the future will be like mm-hmm. because we're in this, this exponential right now where the computational power that we're using is growing five times faster than Moore's Law. And so what we do know is every year we're going to have unprecedented AI technologies. We've been doing that for seven years. OpenAI has been doing it for three. And so I think that this year we have systems that can understand and generate text. I think five years from now, we should expect that we can have systems that you can really have meaningful conversations with. I think that we should see within a bunch of different domains uh, a lot of, of, of very you know, systems that can work with humans to augment what they can do much further than anything we can imagine today. OpenAI has made huge progress in the field of AI with Codex, GPT-3, and other projects. We're very excited to see more developments in the near future, and we'll cover many of them as they unfold on our channel. Hope you enjoyed this episode.